So I am so thankful for the opportunity to share with you guys uh, this morning and also um, this afternoon and next Sabbath. We're going to be continuing our seminar. We are going to be embarking on a two-weekend seminar entitled Delighting in the Almighty, a practical guide to primitive godliness. And uh, I hope that you can make it to the, all the presentations. This afternoon we're going to be starting at 1.30 or so after the potluck, and then next Sabbath we'll be having the church service again, and then the afternoon uh, presentation as well. And I have a workbook for you. If you come in the afternoon, I have a workbook for you. If you just can't make it for some reason, and if you really try hard, you might be able to talk me into giving you a, a free workbook anyway. But uh, I hope that you can come. I hope that if you uh, have not planned to stay for the potluck, that you plan to stay anyway, even if you didn't bring any food. We usually have plenty of food. And then right after the potluck, we're going to come back over and um, share together. And I want to talk this afternoon about how we can enjoy God. How we can enjoy God to the fullest. I mean, when you think about it, as a Christian, shouldn't that be one of the most important questions that we ask ourselves? How can we enjoy God? So that's what we're going to be we're doing this afternoon. Let's begin with the word of prayer before we get started here. <coughs> Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for the privilege that we have of being here with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are in this place, that you are filling this place with your Holy Spirit. We, we plead for you to come in to our hearts and to our minds. Father, we need you to teach us. We need you to teach us uh, in our mind, in the knowledge that we have, but we also need you to teach our hearts to um, long after you. We pray for these blessings, and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a lot of things about the Christian life that don't seem to make a lot of sense on the surface. Have you ever wondered, for example, questions like this? Why must we ask God for his blessings? Doesn't God already know what we need? Doesn't God love us? Doesn't God want to eagerly lavish his goodness upon us? Why should we have to ask him for blessings? Or here's another one. Why should we intercede for others? Doesn't God know their needs better than we do? Doesn't God love them more than we possibly can? Why should we have to intercede for others? Interesting and important questions are here, of course, is the proverbial, why do bad things happen to good people? All of these questions are important for us to answer in order for us to understand God better and how the Christian life works. And so, <clears throat> I would like to explore an aspect of the great controversy that can help us to understand these questions and many other questions that we find in the Christian life. You know, the great controversy is a wonderful blessing. It is, so, it is so great to be able to understand what's happening, how, how Lucifer fell, how God is doing everything he can to heal the breach that he made in um, the universe. And understanding that fact helps us to understand so much about the Bible. So this morning I would like to concentrate on one little aspect of the great controversy, an aspect that I like to call the great cosmic equation. You know, in order to understand the great cosmic equation better, we have to first understand or recognize that there is an astonishing paradox in the universe in which we live. Think about this for a second. The almighty God of the universe, the king of eternity, 
does not always get what he wants. God does not always get what he wants, right? If God got what he wanted, there would be no sorrow, suffering, and pain. If God got what he wanted, everybody would be overflowing with love and joy and peace, filled with the Holy Spirit and saved for eternity. If God got what he wanted, the earth would be like, well, like heaven, right? But as we look around in the world that we live, we can see that God does not always get what he wants. In fact, sometimes it seems like he seldom does. In a recent year in the United States, there were 15,696 cases of murder. There were 90,185,000 ,000 cases of reported rape and 327,374 burglaries. My friends, we can have confidence that none of these tragic incidences were God's will. In fact, during that exact same year in heaven, there were no murders, no rapes, and no burglaries. Zero. The staggering reality of the world in which we live is that the Almighty God does not always or even often get his way. Instead, God cries out things like this, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why would I expect that it to produce good grapes did it produce worthless ones? Can't you just see in this passage the Almighty God say, What more can I do? What more can I do? What more can God do to heal us? What more can God do to bless us? What more can God do to save us? What more can God do? God wants to do more, but he can't. God doesn't always get what he wants. How does that happen? How does an almighty God not get what he wants? Who or what stands in God's way and says, no, you can't have that? Obviously, nobody and nothing can get in God's way. Only God himself can keep himself back. But why would he do that? Why would God hold back his blessings? Why would he refuse to lavish his goodness on everyone? Why would God do that? Well, the answer comes back, of course, to our free will, our power of choice. God has given us freedom of choice. It's a wonderful blessing, but God will never force us to receive any of his blessings. God will never force his goodness upon us, even if it is good and he knows it. God will not violate our free will, no matter how good his will is. So, this disparity between what God wants and what God gets, I like to call the great cosmic equation. In other words, there is some kind of formula, unseen complex formula in our world, that determines what God gets to do versus what he wants to do. And we can't see this formula. Sometimes I wish we could. A lot of times we don't understand why God does the things he does. A lot of times we don't understand why he doesn't act when we think he should. It all has to do with this formula. Somehow God has taken our free will, our collective free will, and our individual free will, and he decides what he can do and stay within the bounds of that free will. And you can believe that the devil is always watching his toe. And that toe better never cross that line because if it does, he's going to cry foul. And yet God will never, has never, Cross the free, that will, that line, that boundary that is created 
by our free will, our freedom of choice. So, the great cosmic equation is much too complex for us to understand. It's invisible, but there is some basic concepts about the great cosmic equation that we can understand. It's more like this. In a very simplistic terms, this is what it would look like. The equation is what God wants minus what man's will allows is what God gets. In other words, you and I, by our choices, get to define God's power in our life. And not only in our own life, but also in his power through us to bless others. The power of choice is an incredible power. It doesn't empower us to do good on our own, but it does empower us to let God do good. And it's something that we need to take seriously that we don't often. You know, mankind's power of choice creates these boundaries, and these boundaries hold God back. And if you want to see this, you need to look no further than the ancient children of Israel. We read this scripture this morning. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Can't you just see a God who is eagerly seeking to bless his people? To do everything he can for them, to lavish his goodness upon them? This is what God wanted to do for Israel. But is this what God got to do for Israel? No, the very next verse. God says, but my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. God just wanted to bless his people, but God did not get to bless his people as much as he wanted to. Jesus cried out to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were what? Unwilling. You see, that unwillingness is holding up a barrier that is keeping the Almighty God back from blessing us and blessing other people through us. God had great plans for Israel. He wanted to do some fantastic things through them to bless all the nations. And of course he did to some extent, but not nearly to the extent that he wanted to, because Israel said what? We're going to go our own way, we're going to have our own king, we're going to follow our own gods, and because of that, God was not able to do the wonderful things he wanted to do through them. He could only say, if only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Wouldn't that be great? Your well-being like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. That is what God wants to do for Israel, and it's what he wants to do for you and I as well. And just because God, a lot of people in history have used their free wills to push God back does not mean that's the only way it works. In fact, we can use our free will to actually enable God to enhance his ability to bless us and others through us. And this has been done throughout time by people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Jesus, and Mary, and Paul, and Dorcas, all these wonderful stories of people who have used their free will, their power of choice, to put on the side of God's will so that he could bless them and bless others through them. In the beginning, before Lucifer fell, every atom in the universe leapt to do the will of God. God would speak and the atoms would group and form to every object of his perfect will. And then Lucifer fell and he tore a gaping hole in the fabric of the universe. And then Adam and Eve fell and that hole just got wider. And since that time, 
that hole has just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But the good news is, the great controversy is going to be concluded. God in his power, in his wisdom, in his might is, is working to close that gap and he will succeed. He will get the universe back to the place where the great cosmic equation will be what God wants minus nothing is what God gets. And then, once again, God will, will be able to lavish his goodness without inhibition, without anybody limiting him at all. He will be able to um, bless everyone to the fullest extent that he longs to do. So, that's the theory of the great cosmic equation. How does it work, though, in practical terms? Let's look at it very quickly here. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, he told about four different types of people. There was the hard path type of person who actively resists God. There was the rocky soil person. This, this type of person, they, they joyfully let God into their lives, remember? But they didn't let him get very deep. They didn't let him break up the soil of the, um, the selfishness in their hearts. Then there was the thorny soil. These guys also joyfully let God into their hearts, but they also brought other things in that eventually choked God out. And then, of course, there was the good soil. These people let God in joyfully, deeply, and uniquely. Only Him. They didn't let anything else come in. So if we were going to diagram these four soils using the great cosmic equation, it might look something like this. The white in this diagram represents God's goodness. And the red represents our free will and our boundaries that we set up to the great cosmic equation that keeps God back. And this guy in the center, he's the hard path type of person. He's hunkered down against God. He's actively resisting God. God is striving to bless this guy. He is pushing that boundaries as far as he can on all sides, longing to bless this guy. But the guy, with, because of his free will, is holding back. He's pushing back. And yet God is still able to get through a little bit. You see that? God is still able to get through even the most hardened soul. Everything good comes from God. So anything good in anybody's life comes from God. So God is still able to get through. Here is a diagram of the lukewarm Christian. This is the, the rocky soil and the thorny soil. This person does not actively resist God as much. They give God a lot more of their choices. And as you can see, because of that, God's goodness is able to intersect them more ways, more powerfully, more wonderfully. But the boundaries are still there. Right? They're still pushing back against God. They're still not letting God be Almighty God in them to do all the good that He wants to do. And of course, the most beautiful picture of all is the good soil. The, the soil that says, Lord, my heart, my mind, my time, my money, my all is yours. I don't want to inhibit you in the least. I want you to be Almighty God in me. And God is able then to lavish His goodness on that person, to surround them with His goodness. And those boundaries, they don't push God back anymore, they push the devil back. Because we can use our free will to push the devil back too by God's power working through us. But, does that mean that bad things don't happen to good people? No, bad things still happen to good people. Because of our collective, as a, as a earth, we have collectively chosen the devil as our leader. The devil has to have access to everybody, including holy surrendered Christians. But, the good news is, Notice the, this gray area. That represents the devil coming in. That's, that's the bad things that happen to good people. But notice what has happened. God has filtered 
and has controlled that bad that the devil wants to, uh, to, to uh, destroy us with, God has actually changed that bad and he has made it into good. That's the incredible power of God. He can take the devil's bad and transform it into our good. And so we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a wonderful promise? We can let God, by our power of choice, we can let God be almighty God in our life to do all the good things he wants to do in us and through us and even though bad things happen to good people, God can turn those bad things into good things. That's what he excels in doing because of his wonderful power. Now I want you to notice something about these three types of people. We have the ungodly person, we have the lukewarm person, we have the surrendered person. These three, the only difference between these three different types of people is their free will, their choices. The only difference is their choices. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. What God is wanting to do is the same for all of them. But what God is able to do in each one of their lives is based on their choices. The key is the power of choice that God has given us. God has given us the power of choice. It is a great power. But it's not strong enough to do God's will on our own. That's not the purpose of the power of choice. The power of the choice is to let God do his good through us. You see the difference? We can't. We're not strong enough. Even by the power of choice that God has given us, we are not strong enough to do good on our own. But by God's grace and power, we can let him do the good in us and through us that he longs to do. And that's the blessing of our free will. <clears throat> the great controversy is about that disparity between what God wants and what God gets. And in the end, God will once again get to do everything he wants to do in all of our lives. Won't that be an incredible time? There will be no holding back against God. What a blessing that will be. The great, converse, the great uh, cosmic equation teaches us one principle. This is the principle I want to share with you this morning. Above all the other things that we're talking about, this is the one principle that I believe can help us to understand the Christian life better. This is it. Only God can do it. Only you and I can let him. I'd like to encourage you to memorize this statement. This is so fundamental. This principle is so important for the Christian life. No matter what it is, only God can do it. Any good thing in our lives, it's only going to be God. But he can't do it unless we let him because of our power of choice. In other words, if we want faith, only God can give us faith. If we want forgiveness, only God can give us forgiveness. If we want surrender, only God can give us surrender. If we want salvation, only God can give us surrender, uh, salvation. Any good thing in our lives, whatever it is, justification, sanctification, humility, whatever it is, only God can give it to us. Only God can do it. But you and I have to let him. And that's the key, I believe, to the Christian life. The scriptures admonishes us to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. In other words, if we want to prove what God wants, we have to 
And what, what's the previous verse say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to what? Right? It's about sacrificing ourselves on the altar. To give ourselves to God. Surrender ourselves wholly to Him. And then what happens? Then He is able to prove through us what His good and perfect and acceptable will is. But it has to do with that choice. That choice that, that God has given us. So, going back to our questions. Why do we ask God? Why do we have to pray for God for things that He longs to give us? Why do we have to intercede for others? It comes down to the great cosmic equation. Our prayers put on record to the universe that we are asking God to interact on our behalf. They are legal documents that say, hey, God, you have permission to move this barrier back and to bless me. The devil can't accuse God of stepping over that free will because we have, by our prayers, we have actually said, I put my will on the side of your choice, God. I want you to do it. And when we pray for somebody else, it's the same thing. We say, Lord, please bless that person. Push back the barriers that are keeping them from receiving your blessing. And do it because I have requested it. I am putting my will on the side of your will, my freedom of choice on the side of your will, so that you can bless that person. We're going to look a little bit more about how that works. But prayer is a practical, tangible way that you and I can show the universe that we want God to bless us and to bless others through us to be able to push back those boundaries of the great cosmic equation. And that's why God, uh, Jesus told the, the parable or the story about the unjust judge. Remember that parable? Do you remember why Jesus told that parable? He said it was to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. That makes a whole lot more sense now in terms of the great cosmic equation because it's like a, it's like a, a cell phone. When you're charging a cell phone, children, you, you all have your cell phones, you're charging them, right? When you, when you charge them, what do you do? You plug it in and then you unplug it right away, right? No, that's not how it works. You plug it in and you keep it plugged in for a, a, a length of time because the longer it's plugged in, the more power it has. And it's the same way with prayer. The more that we say, Lord, I want your will to be done. Lord, I want your will to be done. Lord, I want your will to be done. God is enabled to push back those barriers and to bless people because of our prayers on their behalf. And that's why it's so important that we keep on praying and don't give up. Perhaps one of the most powerful stories in all of scripture that help us to understand this, this great cosmic equation in practical terms is the story of Naaman. Naaman was a hardened path type of person. He was a pagan, he was an idol worshiper, and he came down with this terrible disease called leprosy. So if we were to diagram uh, Naaman, he would look like this. He's the hard path type of person, right? God is able to get through, but not very much. But God wants to get through. God wants to heal Naaman, not just physically, but spiritually. And so how does he do that? How does he get through to Naaman, even though Naaman is a hardened path person, and by his choices, he's restricting God's power? Well, God gets through. The first thing he does is he works through a little girl whose name we don't even know, and because of her faith, and because of her prayers, and because of her statement, I wish that my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Because of her, God was able to move that great cosmic equation a little bit out. Push back the boundaries. Because of her faith and her prayers, he was able to push back that boundary and reshape it. And then, Naaman 
goes and contacts um, Elisha. And Elisha didn't meet him face to face. But Elisha started praying for Naaman. You can be assured of that. And because of Elisha's faith and because of his prayers, God was able to move that boundary even a little bit closer to Naaman. God is trying everything he can to heal Naaman. And he's pushing back those boundaries, but he won't do it against the free will. That's why we have to have a, a part in that through our prayers. But God can only go so far by our prayers. At some point, the person themselves has to let God come the, the last few steps. And this is what Naaman needed. Naaman needed to be able to say, Lord, I want your will to be done. Naaman needed to give God permission to heal him. How was he going to do that? God gave him a little bit of a task to do. Do you remember what that task was? To bathe in the Jordan River, right? The dirty Jordan River. It wasn't something he wanted to do. And not only was he supposed to do it once, and not only was he supposed to do it twice, and not only five times, he was supposed to do it how many times? Seven times. Do you think it was important that he did it all seven times? Yes, because every time he bathed in the Jordan, every time he dipped, God was able to get that much closer to him. Say, okay, Naaman is putting his choices on the side of my will. I can get that much closer to him. I can get that much closer to him. And then on the seventh time, God was able to get through. That, that bathing in the Jordan, my friends, was not just some kind of arbitrary thing that God made up. There was a real reason for that. He had to do it. And he had to do it seven times. Because by doing it, he was saying to the universe, I choose God's choice. I am dipping here because God asked me to do it. I am dipping here between, because God asked me to do it. Seven times, he's putting his will on the side of God's will. And God is able to move that barrier away and get closer to um, Naaman. And then at the end, Naaman says, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Isn't that an incredible story? God transformed a hardened path person who was resisting God actively, setting up those barriers. God was actually able to get through to them because of the little girl and because of, of Elisha. God was able to get through to him and heal him, not only of his physical leprosy, but more importantly, of his spiritual leprosy. And that is what God wants to do in each one of our lives. Only God can do it. Only God can heal the leper. But only we can let him. And we let him by our choices. And we see this, by the way, this was not just something that Naaman did. We see the same thing of God giving people these little arbitrary seeming jobs throughout scripture. And why does he do it? For example, Israel was commanded to march around Jericho 13 times, right? Six days, once a day, and then seven times on the seventh day. And when they did that, when they marched 13 times around Jericho, what happened? The walls fell down. Supernatural. Miracle. And then what about the blind man? Jesus put some mud on this guy's eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the guy did. And when he did, what happened? Miracle. Supernatural. He could see. And remember the woman who wanted to touch the hem of Christ's robe? When she reached out and touched his hem, what happened? Supernatural miracle. God was able to get through. My friends, is there anything that's intrinsically healing about the Jordan River? If I go to the Jordan River right now, is it going to heal me of all my diseases? No, there's nothing intrinsic. Is there anything intrinsically magical that's going to bring down city walls if you march around them? No. 
How about washing off the mud in the pool of Siloam? Is there anything intrinsically magical about that or healing? No. Even Christ's robe does not have any intrinsic healing power. Where does the miracle happen? How does the miracle happen? It happens when the will of man cooperates with the will of God. Right? When we do the things that God asks us to do, when we put our choice on the side of his choice and say, Lord, I want your will to be done, God says, okay, great, I can push back this boundary and I can do these wonderful things for you and through you. And we see this throughout scripture. The power is in the choices. And the great controversy is all about the power of choice. God is working miraculously to get us all back to him, but to do it by our choice. He's not going to force it. He's not going to force the universe back to him. He's going to do it by our choices. Mankind has collectively and in many times individually turned away from God. We have decided that the devil is going to be our ruler. And because of that, we push back God. And God is not able to do a lot of the good that he would long to do in this world of ours. But, remember, the great controversy is coming to an end. God wins. We know that. He is bringing this, this whole uh, battle to a, a conclusion, and in the end, he's going to bring us back to him. And once again, once again, God will be able to lavish all his goodness on all mankind without anybody inhibiting or limiting or holding him back. Won't that be a wonderful time? God will be able to do that for us. My friends, right now, God is calling you and I to be the people that enable him, that enhance his ability to bless. God is calling us, you and I, to put our choices on the side of his will so that he can do all the good that he wants to do in our lives and through us to bless others. He wants to be almighty God in us. And this ultimate giving God of our choices, we have a word for it, you've probably heard it before, it's called surrender. Surrender is the ultimate choice. It is the choice of above all choices. It is the choice to give God all of our choices. It is the choice to get out of God's way completely and say, Lord, I want you to be almighty God in me. Have your way in everything all the time. It is a choice that's very scary and very hard to make. Jean-Francois Gravelet, who is better known as the great Blondin, was famous for crossing the Niagara Gorge on a high wire. This 1,100-foot rope was three and a quarter inches in diameter and 160 feet over the boiling waters of the Niagara Falls. And he didn't just do it once, he did it many times in different death-defying variations. He did it once blindfolded. He did it once walking on stilts. He did it walking backwards. He did it pushing a wheelbarrow. And my favorite, my personal favorite, he did it with a cast iron stove on his back and an egg. And he went to the middle of the rope and he made himself an omelet right there on the rope and he lowered it down to the maid of the mist, the people that were watching from the boat below. Amazing! But perhaps the scariest one of all was when he carried his manager across on his back. On August 14, 1859, Harry Colcord, his manager, was carried across on Blondin's back across the Niagara Gorge. 
Before this happened, before Blondin would carry him, he took Harry Colcord aside and he said this. He said, look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me. Mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If we do, we will both go down to our death. It took a lot of faith for Harry Colcord to get on Blondin's back and let him carry him across that gorge, didn't it? And, and, and Blondin recognized a very important fact. If that was going to work, he was going to have to keep his eyes looking up and to keep himself flowing with him, not swaying, not trying to balance himself, not fighting against him, but just going with it, letting Blondin do the work. And of course, there's a very obvious spiritual aspect to this, this idea, right? Because God is also wanting to get us across this impossible chasm of life. And we know that only he can do it. We could not possibly do it ourselves. And God is saying to us, saying, <coughs> look up, focus on Jesus, be one with me, sway with me, go the way that I go, don't try to balance yourself, let me balance you. And that's what surrender is all about. Surrender is getting on God's back, keeping our eyes looking up, letting God be Almighty God in us, letting God lavish all of His goodness on us, and having His way, letting God be Almighty God in us. My friends, this life-changing surrender is one choice away. Each one of us, by the power of choice that God has given us, can make this choice, this ultimate choice, to say, Lord, my life is not my own. Lord, my money is not my own. Lord, my time is not my own. Lord, my energy is not my own. My voice is not my own. What I see is not my own. What I do with my free time is not my own. Nothing is mine, Father. I want you to be Almighty God in every aspect of my life. I don't want to inhibit you in the least. I don't want to hold any barriers back. I want you to be Almighty God. To do everything you want to do. That is the choice that you and I can make. By His power and grace, you and I can make that choice. That choice of ultimate surrender. And my friends, you and I are not even powerful enough to make that choice by ourselves. But you know what we can do? I want to give you the one minute how to surrender. If you want to share with a friend, if a friend comes up to you and says, how do I surrender to Jesus? This is it. You go to God and you say, Lord, I know I should surrender. I need to surrender because I want you to be Almighty God. But I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to give up all my good choices that I want. I, I, I can't do this. So far, so good. Everybody can do that, right? And then we say, God, I can't do it, but I'm willing to let you do it. Right? By our power of choice, we can say that. Lord, I don't want it, but I'm willing to, make, to let you make me willing. And if you cannot, in all conscience, say that to God, I'm willing to make, let you make me willing, then go back a step and say, Lord, I'm willing to let you make me willing to be made willing to be made willing. Do whatever it takes. Go back as far as you need because you have the power of choice and at some point it is your choice if you are going to let God make you willing and able to give your life wholly to Him. Every choice 
in every aspect of your life all the time so that nothing is holding God back. That's the good that, long, that God longs for in your life and mine. And it's the good that he can accomplish if we'll just let him. By God's glory and grace, may each one of us make that ultimate choice to give God all of our choices, to put our will on the side of his will wholeheartedly in every area of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of surrender. Thank you, Father, that we have the privilege of letting you come in and be almighty God in our lives. Thank you that you are willing to condescend to being almighty God in our lives. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that no matter how impossible this is for us, that for you, it is easy. Thank you that we can come with our power of choice and we can say, Lord, make me willing. Thank you that that is a prayer that you always answer. Father, I pray that you'll go with us today, that you will bless our fellowship, that you will continue to teach us about the great cosmic equation and the effects that our choices have on your ability to bless us and others through us. I thank you for these blessings. Praise you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.